But as I was reading it for the umpteenth time, I don't know how many times the Holy Spirit showed me something in here that I'd never seen before, which is usually what happens when you're reading the Bible. That's why it says the Bible is is living and active because, man, you can read the same thing so many different times and and see something different uh, every every one. It is not just some dead, boring textbook. Uh, Matthew chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 28. Uh, So let's all stand together as we receive the word of the Lord. When he came to the other side into the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. And they cried out saying, what business do we have with each other, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now there was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them. The demons began to entreat him, saying, If you are going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. And they came out and went into the swine, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. The herdsmen ran away and went to the city and reported everything, including what had happened to the demoniacs. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they implored him to leave their region. You may be seated. This account that we just read is the the third of three events that really all tie together, starting in verse 18. The first one is where this large crowd comes to, to see Jesus. Uh, his fame is now spreading pretty fast. Uh, people are hearing of this, um, these amazing things that he is doing. And so when the people in this area, area hear that he is near, man, they just come rushing out of their homes and villages, uh, dropping everything they were doing in their businesses to come see him. How many of you were a part of the 7.8 million people who watched Tiger Woods win first golf tournament in five years last Sunday? Anybody see that? Even if you didn't see it live, I'm sure you probably saw some of the highlights, especially where when he was walking up to the 18th green there to finish the tournament, just this mass of humanity, a gallery like I'd never seen before, just come swarming around him, trying to get as close to him as they can and, and be a part of witnessing history right there. I mean, they were just coming from all over the place. It just looked like fire ants coming uh, to that one spot. And, and that's what I think of when I imagine all these people that are gathered around here by Jesus on the shores of the, the Sea of Galilee. The second event is when he and his disciples get in a boat and they head to the other side of the sea. And while they're going across, they're caught, caught in this ferocious storm. And it is so fierce that the disciples just know they're going to die at any moment. And, uh, but Jesus is sound asleep through the whole thing. But they wake him up, and he rebukes the storm, and it becomes perfectly still. And it says the disciples were amazed that even the wind and the sea obey him. They come to the shore of the banks of the region called the Gadarenes, and the third event happens, which is what we just read. Now, looking at these three events together, there are many lessons that we can draw from from them, and I'm going to point a few of them out this morning, but the biggest thing that I really saw here is how these events explain the tension that we find in God's Word between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. 
those are two things that a lot of people have a hard time reconciling them both being true. Many believe it, it can only be one or the other. Either God is in control of all things and works all things towards his ultimate purposes and nothing is going to stop his purposes from happening or fate is determined by the free, free will choices that you and I make. But it can't be both. A lot of people have a problem with the doctrine of election that God sovereignly chooses whom he does for salvation, saying that that just makes us a bunch of mindless robots and we have no say in anything. So that free will and God's sovereignty cannot exist together, but it can be both and it is both because we find both all throughout the scriptures. It's what we call a paradox. A paradox is two things that seem to be the exact opposite of each other, both being true. And in these three events, we get a better understanding of how these two things coexist and what it means for our lives as Christians. So let's look at it. So the first event here, a big crowd gathers. Now one of the things that the Bible is really good at is exposing the wickedness in our own hearts. God does that not to condemn us, but to set us free. It's his kindness, it's his grace and his mercy that he does that. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And right here in Matthew 8.18, the way that Jesus responds to this crowd exposes what I believe is a major flaw in the heart of much of the American church. Because this is definitely not the way that we tend to respond to church crowds. Look what it says there. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he bragged about it and started a building campaign so they could keep the crowd in one place and put on big productions to keep the crowd entertained. No, that's not what it says at all. But that's how we tend to view and treat church crowds, isn't it? We want the crowd. We, we worship the numbers. We uh, use the size of the crowd to, to measure as a measure of success. But what does Jesus do? Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Jesus left the crowd. And you know there had to be at least a couple of disciples saying, wait, what? We're going to leave? I mean, don't you see this huge opportunity that you have here with all these people? You're just going to squander that opportunity and and leave them here alone? And for sure, Judas would have thought we should at least take up an offering before we leave because there's a lot of money to be had here in this crowd. But no, Jesus left the crowd. And before he even did that, he starts whittling the crowd down. Look at what it says starting in verse 19. Then a scribe came and said to him, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. So there were some in this crowd who generally wanted to follow Jesus. They wanted to be his disciple. And so Jesus told them what that would mean. What being a disciple of his would, would look like and uh, what that would ultimately cost them. So he doesn't try to 
maintain and keep the numbers of this crowd by telling them what he thought they wanted to hear. He just confronts them with the hard truth, knowing that that would mean this crowd would probably shrink quite a bit. You know, I'm afraid that there are many preachers in the American church that are preaching messages that are designed more for building crowds than for building disciples. And so right here, we see Jesus giving them a choice. And if you want to follow me, if you want to take your relationship with me to that level, if you want to go deeper with me, then you're going to have to choose whether or not you're willing to count the cost. Jesus didn't force anybody to go that far with him. To, to be a complete disciple. He simply told them the truth and let them decide based on that. And so this is an example of man's responsibility. We can decide as to what level we want to take our relationship with Jesus. And so they get in a boat and they head to the opposite shore, which is a pretty good trip. I mean, the Sea of Galilee is actually a big lake. As a matter of fact, the surface area of the Sea of Galilee is almost exactly the same surface area as Richland Chambers. Richland Chambers is just in the shape of a Y. Sea of Galilee is more oval shape. And so it would take quite a, it was a pretty good trip to get all the way across the lake. And on their way, of course, they encounter this big storm. Pick up in verse 25. And they came to him and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, what kind of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now here we see an example of God's absolute sovereignty. When Jesus told the winds and the sea to be still, did they have a choice in the matter? Not at all. I mean, they were completely submitted to his authority. They didn't have a choice. They just had to respond to what he said. Well, they finally make it to shore, to the area called the Gadarenes, which was part of a larger area called the Decapolis, which is an area of 10 cities that were primarily Greek. And so this was an area of Gentile people rather than Jewish. Now, the Gentiles were considered unclean. They were outside the family of God. Jews were not to associate with them whatsoever, let alone marry, intermarry with them or anything like that. They were to remain separate from them. Yet that's exactly where Jesus leads the disciples to go. Because I promise you, Jesus didn't say, let's go to the other side, not knowing who was going to be over there. He knew exactly where he was going. He knew he was going to these Gentile people. And it just so happens that the very first place that they set foot on when they get out of the boat is in this unclean region is a cemetery. Cemeteries were also considered unclean to the Jewish religion. So they're in an unclean place among an unclean people. And then these two demon-possessed men come running at them. And I would have just loved to see the reaction of some of these disciples when this happened. I mean, just picture it. They're in a graveyard. It's late in the evening. The sun is beginning to go down. It's almost dark, and they're in this spooky graveyard, and these 
crazy, nasty-looking, vile men, naked, at least one of them wearing chains that we know of from another account, come screaming and running at them, probably spewing all kinds of vile language. I, I guarantee you some of those, Thomas I know, would have turned tail and run the other way. At least Thomas would have. The text says that these men were so violent, no one could ever walk by this place. And no one could ever go in the nearby villages and pay their respects to their loved ones who were buried there because these men would attack them. Luke's account only mentions one of the men, and it says that the people tried to shackle him in chains, but the demons made him so strong that he just broke loose from those chains every time. So we've got these tormented souls in an unclean place, and no one is able to help them. No one is able to change or to fix this problem, this situation that Jesus and his disciples have just entered into. And as far as being outside the presence of God, you really couldn't get any further than this. Demon-possessed, in a graveyard, among Gentiles. I mean, you couldn't get any more godless than that scene right there. And the people tried to at least contain the situation or manage it, but they couldn't even do that. And I want you to see here that this is about as accurate a description of our condition apart from Christ as you will see anywhere else in the Bible. Gentiles, rejected as God's people, cut off from relationship with him. A graveyard. The Bible says we are dead in our sin apart from Christ in Ephesians 2, 1 and Colossians 2, 13. Our soul is nothing but an empty graveyard to God. Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs because they were dead inside. Possessed by demons lashing out in violence. Listen how Romans 1 describes those who don't know God. It's in verse 29 to 31. Being filled or possessed with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. That's us apart from Christ. There seems to be this popular refrain that I just seem to keep hearing it from so many different people. And they'll say, you know, I, I believe that, that most people are generally good. That's not true. Apart from Christ, the Bible says there is no one good, not even one. Most people are not generally good. They are absolutely evil. Wicked. Jeremiah 17 9 says the human heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. And just like the people that tried to shackle these men and control their behavior, there is absolutely nothing we can do about our condition apart from Christ. The best chance we had to make things right.
But Romans 8.3 says, what the law could not do, God did. The law couldn't even do it. Our situation, our condition apart from Christ was just as hopeless as these demon-possessed men living in a Gentile graveyard. This is a perfect illustration of life without Jesus. And it doesn't matter how many times you go to church or how many Bible verses you can quote or how good your behavior is. If you have never been miraculously transformed by receiving and trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, you are no better off than these two men. No better off at all. So Jesus goes to a place that didn't deserve for him to go. But he does. And he casts the demons out of these men. And here we see another example of his absolute sovereignty on display again. When Jesus told them to get out and go to the pigs, they have a choice in the matter? No. They were fully submitted to him the moment they recognized who he was. Now... You notice also that Jesus didn't ask these men if they wanted to be free from these demons. You know why he didn't? Because it would have been pointless to ask them that. Because they were incapable of even making that decision. They were so controlled by the influence of these demonic demonic spirits that they were not able to make a rational decision had two choices been set before them. There was no way. And it's the same way with us. Apart from Christ, we are so depraved and controlled by the influence and the curse of sin that we are incapable of rationally choosing Jesus. The Bible says that we are blind, we are deaf, we are dead to the truth. Let me ask you something. Can a dead man make himself live again? Of course not. That's why the Bible says over and over and over again that God chooses us. Jesus said, you did not choose me. I chose you. That's why the Bible says he rescues us. He does for us what we are completely incapable of doing ourselves. And just like these demons, when God speaks to a dead spirit and says, come to life, he doesn't have a choice but to obey. Just like when he spoke in and said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus didn't have a choice, man. He just came alive and walked out of that tomb. When, when God speaks to blind eyes to be open, whether they be physicalized or spiritualized, they have no choice but to come open. When he speaks to deaf ears to hear, whether they be physical ears or spiritual ears, they have no choice but to hear. This is the sovereignty of his divine and unconditional election. There wasn't a thing that these men did to warrant Jesus setting them free. It was simply an act of his unbelievable mercy. There isn't a thing that anyone does to warrant God saving us. It's simply an act of his unbelievable mercy. And so Jesus allows these demons to go into this herd of pigs. They run down the hill and drown in the sea. 
This is one of the evidences that we know that these weren't Jewish people because no Jew would be raising a herd of pigs. Pigs were also considered unclean. The law forbade, for, they were forbidden in the law to uh, eat or have anything to do with pork. Now, back then, the loss of a whole herd of any kind of livestock would have been absolutely devastating. I mean, this wasn't just a way for whoever owned these pigs to have food for themselves, but this was their livelihood. They sold these things to others. This was their occupation, their industry, and now their whole livelihood was just gone in an instant. And I know there's part of us that reads that and thinks, well, why would Jesus do that? These weren't his pigs. These were somebody else's, and they didn't have anything to do with what was going on here. He just ruined someone's whole business. I think there's a part of us that thinks that this was thoughtless, maybe, inconsiderate, unfair, because these were somebody else's pigs. But were they? Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. These pigs belong to the Father. And God can do whatever he wants to with whatever belongs to him. So you need to remember that next time you get mad at God for doing something that takes something away that was yours. It's not yours. It's God's. He can do whatever he wants with whatever he has. But he always does it in our lives for something good. And he just asked us to trust him. And it wasn't like Jesus would have cast the demons into those pigs and then they go running down the hill and drown and him go, oh no, I didn't expect them to do that. And then have to come up with some, some way to kind of fix it or anything like that. I mean, Jesus already had a plan in mind. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew what these pigs were going to do and he knew what he was going to do after that, what the consequences of that were going to be. Listen to this. Some of you need to hear this. It's the only point I'm going to have up on the screen this morning. Any action that God takes in our lives or anything he calls us to do, he already has the details that would be affected by that action taken care of. He already has the details that would be affected by that action already taken care of. And so we'll say, well, I feel like God's telling me to do this. But man, if I do, what about this? And what about this? And that could mean this. And, and so we hold back and we're not obedient and we don't do it. We don't let God work because we're worried about the outcome of that. All the other residual effects of it. But God's already got the details taken care of he just asks us to trust him but here's the part of this text that jumped out to me the most i believe it's the main thing that god wants us to know this morning the very last part of verse 34 says and behold the whole city came out to meet jesus so look you got another crowd gathered the story begins with the crowd and ends with the crowd Neither one of them are anything you want to brag about or advertise. And when they saw him, they implored him to leave their region. I want us to look at this whole area of the Gadarenes as really 
a metaphor for the life of an individual. Jesus comes and he brings our dead spirit to life, removing the wickedness and the evil that resided in us, doing for us what we could never do for ourselves, just like he did for these two men. And he really did this for the whole region because the whole region was being affected by these demon-possessed men. And that was his sovereign will at work. Picture of salvation. But being saved is about a whole lot more than just being saved. It's about more than just being forgiven so that you can go to heaven. There are many other areas of our life that Jesus wants to change and heal and transform than just our dead spirit. And the miracle that he did by saving us and bringing our dead spirit to life has the potential to affect many other aspects of our life if we let it. And that's the key, if we let him do that. Jesus did something that no one else in this region was able to do. And if they would have allowed him, there was a whole lot more that he could have done as well. I mean, Jesus was there. And I'm sure they'd heard about what was going on on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And man, that seems so far away. Well, now he's there with him. And when Jesus shows up, good things happen. The Son of God was there with them. But the people couldn't see that. All they saw was the loss of their income. They preferred that things just stay the way they've always been. Rather than having Jesus come and and change anything. They had that choice and they said no. Because they preferred the pigs. And here is how the dualism of God's sovereignty and our responsibility works together in our lives. God saves us and sets us free and it is all his doing. We play no part in that whatsoever. It's just a sovereign act of his mercy and grace. And at that moment, we become his. We are righteous in his eyes because we have received the righteousness of Jesus. We are forgiven. We are set free from the curse and control of sin, and nothing can change that. But there are other areas of our life that have the potential to be just as affected if we let them be. And we have a choice whether or not we are going to allow Jesus to have those other areas of our lives as well. If we're going to allow him to continue to do that transforming work in us, the work that he did to our dead spirit, are we going to let him do that to other areas of our lives? Sadly, there are many of us who, given that choice, are preferring pigs. We'll say, yes, Lord, save me and accept me as your child, but... Leave my finances alone. I want to retain full control of that. There are some of you who, for whatever reason, man, there's just been this deep-seated anger that you've been carrying around with you that affects all your relationships, just kind of been tainting everything that you're involved with. I'm telling you right now, Jesus wants to set you free from that. 
But the truth is, that anger that you've had with you for so long has really become like this warm security blanket that you turn to every time things don't go your way. Every time you're disappointed, somebody lets you down, every time you're hurt or you're afraid, you know you've got that warm blanket of anger to retreat back into. You've had it longer than you haven't had it, and you're kind of afraid of what life would be like without it anymore. It's obviously not good, but at least it's what you know. It's what you're familiar with. Some of you single folks, let Jesus into your life. You worship, you praise his name for saving you and making him your own, making you his own. But when it comes to your relationship with others, preferring pigs, think, God, I'm afraid if I give you my relationships that I might lose who I have now or I may not ever find the right one. Or... If I give you my relationships to you, then I know there are some changes that are going to have to be made in that. I can't continue to, to go on in this relationship like I have if, if I give it to you. If we want this relationship to glorify and reflect you, there's some repentance that has to take place. And I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. So I'm just going to hang on to that for now. Some of you may have experienced a traumatic experience in the past, and because of that, there are these deep wounds in your heart that have not fully been healed. It really affects everything. You may not have even told anybody about it. I'm telling you this morning, Jesus wants to heal that hurt. But in order to do that, sometimes those wounds have to be exposed. So that Jesus can come and touch it with his healing hand. A lot of times he uses others. It's the primary way he does. He uses others for us to go to. For some of that healing. Too many of us would just rather... Try to keep that continued buried deep down. Too afraid to go back and revisit that all over again. Maybe you're afraid of what others might think if they knew. And so you're like, Jesus, thank you for saving me. I'm going to continue to hold on to that myself. I don't know who exactly... This message was for this morning, but I know it's somebody, probably even more, because the Holy Spirit would not let this go with me this week. And at first, I really wasn't sure whether this was where I was to go and start. I started looking if there was other possibilities of things that I could bring this morning, but the Holy Spirit just wouldn't let this go. He kept bringing me back to this. And I don't know what it is that you haven't been willing to surrender to him, but you do. He does. 
Maybe it's some besetting sin that has really kind of become your pet. You don't know what it'd be like to be free of that, so you just kind of keep hanging on to it. There are things that God does that have nothing to do with us, that he works according to his sovereign will. And then there are things that he allows us to have a say in, and those choices have consequences. You know, there are people who will die and go to heaven without ever fully experiencing the complete healing of some of those wounds that they took on in life. There are some people who will die and go to heaven still perceiving all of life through the tinted lens of rejection because they never got set free from that. And yes, I know when they get to heaven, that'll all be gone and they'll finally be free. But remember, Christianity isn't just about heaven one day. It's about life right now. And there is an abundance to this life that Jesus wants us to experience in him. And we do that by allowing him to work in these areas that we've been reluctant to give over to him. We've just been hanging on to ourselves. But you know, I think, what if those Gadarene people would have welcomed Jesus? I wonder what would have happened. Their whole story may have been different. There, there may have been a whole other book of the Bible. That was nothing about the amazing things that God did in the Gadarene region. We'll never know what would have happened because they chose to say no. Because they preferred the pigs. We'll never know. But the important question is, what would your life look like if you gave everything to Jesus? What would life look like if you no longer had that the anger that just always sitting there seething under the surface just pops out every time something doesn't go right. What would life look like if you could see everything more clearly than you do now because you're looking through that tinted lens of rejection? What would life look like if you were completely free? Whatever sin has just got its claws dug into you. I don't know what it would look like, but I do know it would be a lot better. There's only one way to find out. But I can tell you what would happen if you continue to prefer things the way they are. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And that would be a tragedy. Because Jesus is present. And he is offering something incredible. He wants to have every area of our lives, every part of our heart. He just asks us to trust him. He says, do you trust me? And that's what he's asking us this morning truly believe, like I said earlier, he's been looking forward to this day with somebody in here for a long time. And so I'm going to pray. And after that, we're going to 
spend some time in worship. And during that time, if there's something that you know God's speaking to you on about through this, I want to ask you to come down here and ask one of the leaders here, one of us that will be in these front rows to tell us about it. Let us encourage you. Let us pray with you on this. But Jesus is here. Let's not miss him. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for the sweetness of your presence that is here among us right now. Lord, just the the proof, God, that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. Not your anger, not your condemnation, not your guilt and your shame. It's your kindness. Lord, I pray just an attitude of repentance would just sweep over this whole place, Lord. God, that those that have had these besetting sins that have just been holding them back for so long, God, that they feel so ashamed about, that instead of running from you, God, they would run to your open arms. It's just waiting for them. Lord, those that have been hanging on to that anger and those wounds from things that happened in the past, God, I pray that today would be the day that they give that fully over to you and that you completely heal them, that you completely set them free. Lord, thank you that there is an abundance to this life that you have provided for those who are in you. And it is only in you that we will find it. We won't find it in entertainment. We won't find it in more stuff. That abundance is only found in you, God. And I pray that you would draw somebody to you this morning that may be outside your grace. Holy Spirit, I know you are here. I'm asking you to just come and do what Satan tried so hard to keep from happening. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we sing, you come.